Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus it's time for today's lucky land horoscope with victoria cash life's gotten mundane so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to lucky land you know what they say Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I do not understand this football name in America. How how many of kicks is there in the football game? Six kicks? I'm going to say it once and hopefully I'm wrong, but it's a disaster waiting to happen. I love all of those things with the piggy skin and the men running around. So much screams and then a toss and then everyone is in a large, large hill. A star is born in the NFL. I like the moxie, but I, more importantly, I like the poise and the noise. Oh, what are you doing? You gotta be paping me. It's Jonathan Elway. He was so sassy and cool and hey guys, I'm a cowboy. Bang, bang, sling, sling, toss, toss. I'm going to lose all the time. And then I win and then he leaves as he wins. You cannot beat this. From Munich, Germany, the Broncos and Bratwurst podcast with Kevin Gillikin. Yes, I'm Kevin Gillikin, born and raised in Denver, Colorado, lifelong Broncos fan. I recently moved to Munich, Germany, but as they say, distance makes the heart grow fonder, and so I still love them and love talking about them, even though it's from across the pond. We're good! Welcome, Broncos fans, one and all, from all around the world. I am broadcasting from outside of Munich. It is a cold and windy Tuesday morning. Uh, Rainy. It is consistently rainy here in Munich. That's one thing I really miss about Denver is that even if you had some snow one day, you'd have sun the next, and that's not the case here. You'll have two or three weeks in a row where you barely ever see the sun, and it really kind of gets to you after a while but I'm still here we're still broadcasting and fortunately another Broncos win yes it was another ugly Broncos win but it doesn't matter that's who this team is as I wrote about in the 
article previewing this podcast, this is an ugly Broncos team, and we should embrace them for what they are. It's fun because they are just so hard to watch, and they find a way to win. They just find a way to win. Even though Case Keenum's out there completing 12 passes out of 21 attempts, 151 yards, one touchdown, he didn't throw a pick. And we're seeing week in and week out how important that is. If you have that turnover differential in your favor, you win more often than not. And maybe that's what they finally figured out, that Keenum just needs to play ultra, ultra conservative and it works. It's good enough. It's good enough to win. Maybe it's not sexy. Maybe it's not cool. Maybe it's not super fun to watch. But it wins the games. And, and the Broncos are streaking right now. They've won three games in a row and two against really good opponent, opponents. Uh, Cincinnati's not a good team. They're playing a, a, a practically a rookie quarterback who's never really played in the NFL since Andy Dalton now is uh, is injured. He... I believe, broke his thumb, dislocated his thumb. Either way, he's out for the rest of the season. So Driscoll is in, and he played about what you'd expect for a rookie quarterback. Now, the Broncos had a, still a game where, again, they kind of had the defense bend but don't break and forced a couple turnovers, and it worked. Again, I mean, you give up 10 points to any team in this league, and it's an impressive day. And the defense has found their identity of – you know, letting teams put up yards and not letting teams put up points. And that's a good, it's a good formula. It's, it's working for them. Now, obviously there were downsides to this game. There were quite a few injuries. Uh, Chris Harris Jr. is out for at least the rest of the regular season. Uh, he fractured his fibula. They're saying it's a hairline fracture and that he is actually going to try to come back by the playoffs. Now, obviously that also Depends on if the Broncos make the playoffs, but if they do, he's going to try to be there for the first wild card game. Now, the Broncos have a long way to go in order to get there, and we will uh, talk about that in later segments about what the Broncos need to do and what else needs to happen for them to even have a chance to make the playoffs. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. It's not impossible, but it is going to be difficult. Now, this game, it saw, you know, again, it saw. A mediocre game from pretty much everyone on the field, except for the Denver pass rush, and of course, except for Philip freaking Lindsay, who is an absolute monster. The guy is special. I, he he reminds me of of Le'Veon Bell. I think he, he every game I watch him play, it's more and more reminiscent of Bell because I think he has he shows this patience in the backfield that you almost never see. I, I think it's once every 10 years you find a guy like this. I guess maybe twice if we're saying Bell's the same way. Now, Bell has the advantage of being an unbelievably good back um, receiving the ball. He's, he's a great receiver out of the backfield. Now, Lindsey hasn't quite gotten that aspect to the game, but they haven't really written that into the game plan either. So, heck, maybe he could be. Maybe he would be a great receiver. They just haven't really put in that wrinkle into the game plan. And honestly, they haven't really needed to. This is a guy who is averaging um, on the game. Let me, let me, where are my stats over here? He averaged 8.3 yards per attempt. That's unbelievable. He's leading the league in, in yards per attempt. He's a third, or, or no, I believe it's fourth in overall rushing. Um, he's just, I think, seven yards behind Saquon Barkley for, for rushing for a rookie. And that's with, I believe, 47 fewer attempts. So the guy is just something else. And he's something else to watch. And in this game, I, I had over a bunch of my German friends. 
um, who don't really know football, don't really watch football. Uh, a couple of the guys are just kind of getting into it now, and they all just loved Lindsay. They, they, I mean, you you immediately you can't take your eyes off of him. I mean, he's so quick, he's so fast, he's so patient. He he is a dynamo out there. He's a guy who takes over the football field. He takes over games. And he looks different. There's something different about how he runs, about how he looks when he's running. And his teams are now affectionately calling him the pit bull. And I think it's a, it's a good nickname. I mean, I, he just has this fire, this passion. And I worry still that because he's a little guy, he's going to get hurt eventually. But he does seem to be quick enough to avoid the big hits. And boy, if, if he continues to play like this, obviously the Broncos have, have a bright future in the running game. Now, I think... There's maybe even too much credit going to Lindsey. Everyone's saying he's the savior, he's the great player, and I, I, you can't d- disagree with that. But you have to give more credit also to the offensive line. This is again a ragtag group of of guys who are playing, you know, they're the wrong position. I, I call it the Franken line. You know, they, these guys are are just thrown in there after injury, after injury, after injury. I mean, Ron Leary's out, Matt Paradis is out, and the offensive line is finding a way to be better than they were before the injuries. I mean, it's really remarkable. Now, Connor McGovern as the center, he had a couple bad snaps. Uh, I think a couple bad blocks in the game. He, he probably had the worst game of any, any of the guys on the offensive line, but the rest of the, the group in general is really opening up holes and they're doing a good job of protecting, protecting Keenum. Now, maybe not a great job. I think they gave up two sacks, um, but it's good enough. I mean, it's good enough to win. And they are a great showcase of, of how this team is finding a way to win. It's it's that next guy up. And strangely enough, a lot of the times it's been that next guy up has almost been better than than the guys who are starting. Now, you can't always rely on that. I mean, Chris Harris Jr. getting injured is a terrible, terrible deal. But Isaac Yadam came in and, and had a great game. He had, I think he gave up 11 yards total on four passing attempts directly at him. And that's that's a very good game. Now... Do I want uh, Yadam as my number two cornerback and Bradley Roby as my number one? No, of course I don't. But, you know, they, these guys have played in adversity. They, they've, they've done well when things are stacked up against them. And you have to, again, you have to give credit to the coaching staff. You must. These guys are coaching these guys up. The depth on this team has proven to be very good. It's a young team. And the coaches have them prepared. This, this was a game, again, in Cincinnati that was an early game on the East Coast. In, in at least the East Coast time zone. And that's a game they've lost over and over and over, especially with Vance Joseph. It's a very difficult game to have to travel, get up early, etc. That's not an easy win. And the fact that Vance Joseph and his staff have figured it out, found a way to get the team ready, to get the team pumped up, is, is a credit to them. And, and it shows that Vance Joseph is learning on the job. I see fewer and fewer mistakes on the on the field as well from Vance Joseph. The team plays cleaner football. They, they don't have so many horrible penalties on the offensive line. Look, look at Cincinnati. They had over 100 yards in, in penalties, and, and I think half of it was, was on the offensive line. I mean, false starts and holds, that will absolutely kill you. And that killed the Broncos early in the season. You have to remember how bad that was. So many of their losses were hugely affected by offensive holds and, and, and a few times by by false starts and that will throw off the momentum that'll throw off your groove because that, that's such a big play you lose 10 yards you can't underestimate how big a holding penalty is and the fact that Bowles has gotten so much better at left tackle is huge and that's huge to to the Broncos in the future and of course to them right now as well that I mean 
if if he can be this this steady guy at left tackle, and Jared Valdir has been very good at right tackle, that is really so important in the NFL today to give your quarterback time and to let your receivers you know, have time to get open. And if this is a passing league, you have to give your quarterback time. And if Bowles has found a way to become the guy to be that, that cornerstone of your offensive line, that's a huge development. Huge. Gigantic. And, and I've been hard on Bowles. I mean, I have. I, I've, I've said, you know, maybe he's not the smartest NFL IQ guy. But you know what? Maybe I have to eat crow. And I'm okay with that. If this guy is figuring it out, if he's finding a way to change his his issues to figure out how to use his feet better to not throw guys to the ground, then that's a, that's obviously, you know, I congratulate him. I congratulate his coaches on, on helping him learn that he, he was a huge man. He's a mountain of a man and he's very athletic. So if a guy like him who is very raw can figure out how to harness his issues and harness that, that, that just pure power, then he could be around for a long time. And and another guy that the Broncos offense can build around. You have to now build around what this offensive line is doing and what they're giving these running backs. Now, Royce Freeman hasn't shown up that much, but partially because he just doesn't get the touches because you can't take the touches away from Philip Lindsay. And, and even Devontae Booker has looked good. The running backs have looked particularly good, and I think that that is there's a good culture in that running back room. There's a good culture in the locker room. You're seeing guys step up. You're seeing leaders form in this team. I think Cortland Sutton is becoming a leader of the team. And as as a rookie, that's that's huge. I mean, Philip Lindsay has brought an attitude to this team. And as I said in my article, Shelby Harris has brought an attitude to this team, this underdog mentality, this, hey, we're you're, we're not going to let you do anything to us. And this game was, was just another example of that. It wasn't pretty. In fact, it was downright hideous, but they found a way to win. You know, they, they you know, Part of it, you have to say that I don't see how on earth Marvin Lewis has had a job for so long. He is, he's not maybe a bad coach, but he's never been a good coach, I don't think. I mean, not a great coach, at least. He's never won much. He's always given a chance over and over and over, and eventually he's got to go. I think this has got to be his last season in Cincinnati. And the fact that he brought in Hugh Jackson, who's one of the most laughing stocks of, of the NFL in the last hundred years. I, I don't know. I, I don't really get it. I mean, and they're, they're a team that they, their fan base must be so furious right now. And, you know, Mixon, who is one of the, you know, better young running backs in football, he was averaging 6.8 per rush, and they only let him run the ball 12 times. 12 attempts, 6.8 average. That's bad. I mean, that's what we were complaining about early in the season, and the Broncos have to tip their caps, and the Broncos fans have to tip their caps to the coaching staff of the Bengals and giving us a chance and putting the ball in, in Driscoll's hand. I mean, he, Driscoll had 38 passing attempts. That's way too much for, for a young guy who who's really in his first action. You, you just can't put a guy in that in that position, and he ended up having a bad pick and then also fumbling the ball after a brilliant job by, by Bradley Chubb, who, who has just been unbelievable. I saw a, a stat, a, a tweet by uh, Nikki Jabvala. Um, let me see if I can find it. It was it was about how uh, Chubb and Miller have actually been better than uh, Miller and Ware. Um, the, yeah, the tweet she says this is from Nikki Jabvala uh, from the from the Athletic, I believe. When the Broncos drafted Bradley Chubb, they envisioned recreating the Von Miller to Marcus Ware tandem on the edge. I'm not even sure they expected this kind of production, though. Miller and Ware combined for 24 sacks in all of 2014. Miller and Chubb have 22.5 sacks through 12 games in 2018. I mean, he is he's really 
been this beautiful combination on on the other side from Von Miller. And we can't say enough how good the interior pass rush has been with Shelby Harris in particular. Domitov Pecco has also been good. I don't think he's been great. He's had a couple of good games. Um, every now and then, I think he shows his age a little bit. He shows that he's not, I don't know, maybe not quite as fast or quite as strong. But the guy has a motor that just never quits. And I think that you see that with Domitov Pecco and Shelby Harris, that these are big men that just have the the motor, the, the, the want to, the drive to, to get it done. And, and I think you see that with big men. And, and it, when you have that pressure in the middle, it gives guys like Chubb and Von Miller just a better opportunity to get around the edge. Now, I think Shaq Barrett being hurt obviously is is a disadvantage, but I think it meant that Chubb got more reps, and I don't think that's a bad thing, especially here at, as at the end of the season. And as the Broncos have a chance to get into the playoffs, every game is a must-win. They, they really must win every game, and even if they do win every game, it might be difficult to get into the playoffs because the Baltimore Ravens and the Chargers are are both playing very well, and, and they're going to have to lose a couple games to give the Broncos a chance. And there's also a couple teams in front. Also, uh, Indianapolis Colts need to lose a few games. And I believe the is it the Miami Dolphins also are just above the Broncos in the wild card race at the moment. So there are a bunch of teams that are fighting for it. But the Broncos at six and six, they 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 should feel proud of what they've done. You know, they were three and six, and they were they were one game away from firing their whole coaching staff and from really probably starting fresh. I mean, we were talking about a complete rebuild. We were talking about going full Chucky. I was. I think most of the Broncos Nation was. And and that's okay. I, I think that was fair. They were not a good team. They were not a well-coached team. And they figured things out. Now, yes, they, were, they played close against good teams throughout the season. So maybe, yeah, we were over-exaggerating. Maybe we were overreacting. That's what we do. That's what we do as fans. Every game, we're, we're emotional. Of course we do. When they when they lose, we overreact to everything that went bad. When they win, we probably overreact to everything that went good. And that's just how things go. And I think that's that we don't have to feel bad about that as a fan base. As I said a couple weeks ago, the main thing is that when they win, we have to give credit where credit is due. Let's not hate on the coaching staff just because we've decided we dislike them. If they are learning on the job, if they're figuring things out, if they're getting better, let's give them a chance. I mean, Vance Joseph is winning. He is he is has his players playing hard behind him. And that's a big part of being a coach. If your players are playing hard and they're fighting for every single yard of the game, you have to give a little bit of credit to the coach for that. And Vance Joseph, hey, big props to him. He, he's got three wins in a row, and he's got a chance to to give himself at least one more year as the Broncos head coach. All right, coming up next, uh, we're going to talk about uh, why I'm hot, and the skipper dude will give us a really interesting, in-depth look of the – it's a really fascinating way he looks at it. He doesn't look at the different wildcard teams – he looks at their fan bases and what they're talking about right now to say just who has more momentum in this wild card race. Kevin is hot. Yes, I'm hot, and I'll tell you exactly why I am hot. You know, I don't usually mind if the Broncos play a poor game or an ugly game or or the two teams come together and decide, hey, we're going to have a clunker of a football game. You know, the referees decide to throw a flag on every single play or every other play. There are penalties and injuries etc but you know this time I had friends over I had German friends over and these guys don't really know much about football so they're asking me questions 
all through the game. You know, what does this mean? What's this? And that's okay. I don't mind that. But you know, it gets really old when almost every other play I have to explain to them what a penalty is. Now, try to explain to someone who doesn't know anything about football what a holding penalty is, what an offsides penalty is. I guess that's a little easier. But pass interference, you know, hit to the head. You know, the, I think the, the, the officials don't even know what these penalties are. And I'm trying to describe to it to my German friends who really have no idea. So I'm trying to tell them, oh, yeah, well, you can't lead with the head. But if you hit with the shoulder, it's okay. So how do I explain to them that the, the hit from Perfect on Janovich, or the two hitting each other, was clean, but the hit on Emmanuel Sanders was dirty? Now, yeah, okay, maybe I can kind of say one was defenseless, but what does that even mean? So, yeah, thanks, Broncos. Thanks, Cincinnati. Thanks, referees, for for giving me the opportunity to to really try to stress my football knowledge and try to explain these bizarre penalties and bizarre fouls that no one understands. Even the league office has no idea. They bring on Gene Steratore into the broadcast and say, hey, explain this to us. And he's like, oh yeah, well, ah, we're kind of looking into that. It's like, they have no idea. They have no idea. And you know, Sometimes just let the guys play. Yeah, I know I get it. Safety first, whatever. But, you know, just stop throwing flags for every play. I mean, even there, there's a holding penalty. You could call a holding penalty in every every darn play. Now, I'm not saying the referees were biased against anybody. They were equally bad, and they're equally bad almost every week. Stop. Just stop. Let the guys play. Let me enjoy the game, and let me just have two or three plays in a row where I don't have to explain what a penalty is or what why the flag is yellow for goodness sake so come on guys all right so actually i'm gonna push off the skipper dude segment uh to the third segment and i'll let him discuss again the the different attitudes of all of the teams that are in the running for the for the wild card and right now you're looking at denver tennessee uh the la chargers baltimore miami Indianapolis and Pittsburgh you can throw in there right now Pittsburgh's leading um, their division but they're only I believe a half a game above Baltimore so that that last spot really could come down to Pittsburgh or I guess Baltimore Pittsburgh Baltimore Denver Indianapolis those teams are really the teams that are leading that the race for the wild card right now and, and again he looks at it from the perspective of the fan bases and, and and how they feel. And it's it's really interesting. I, I definitely recommend that you listen to it. But first, we're going to talk about, again, the identity of this team. And I've complained for the last two or three weeks that the team was winning, but they didn't have an identity. They were still trying to find that identity. And, and I believe they're really close. I don't know if they found it, but they're really close. And I think everyone's all over, you know, it, all over... Philip Lindsay, he's the guy. He he's the face of this team right now. Now, as I said in my article, I think for the future that could be the case. He is a guy you you want to build around. He's got charisma. He's got that crazy hair. He is a guy you immediately recognize when you see his face. Now, I don't think he is the face of this team. He like I said, he's too darn sexy. He he looks too good. He's he's too quick. He's too fast. He's he's the opposite of the rest of this team. Now, I guess you could you could argue that the other guys on the team who have that look are Cortland Sutton and Von Miller. I think those are three guys who really have that smoothness, that agility, that that athleticism, that that beauty in the way they play. The rest of this team, I don't see that at all. They're, they're ugly, and the way they win is ugly. They win with Case Keenum barely completing 50% of his passes and 150 yards. They, they have these guys busting their butts up the middle with Shelby Harris and Domata Pecco, but... It doesn't look great. It's not fun. Like I said in, in the I'm hot segment, it's, it's, it's a game that's almost difficult to watch. 
Now, that's okay. I, I, I enjoy that. I mean, I love it. I, I love that the guy who should be the face of this team right now is Shelby Harris. He's a guy who is a seventh-round pick, unfortunately drafted by, by the Oakland Raiders. He's a 27-year-old guy who's kind of fought his way up the depth charts on this team. He, he's, he's found a niche in the middle of the team, and it was all through hard work, perseverance, a guy who just busted his butt play in and play out over and over and over. And even if it didn't, you didn't see it on the screen all the time, You every now and then you started to hear his name more and more. Shelby Harris. Who is this Shelby Harris guy? You hear his name Harris, and you think, oh, Chris, right? Chris Harris. But no, Shelby. Shelby Harris. This, this is a guy who just, uh, again, congratulations to him. He just had his third baby girl. Um, so props to him. I think that was last week after he had that big interception uh, against Pittsburgh, uh, against Ben Roethlisberger. But Shelby Harris had 1.5 sacks this week too, and and he consistently creates pressure on the inside. He consistently helps against the run. And though I don't think the run defense was great this game, they, they forced Cincinnati to give up on it early. Now, the identity of the team is so important because when you are searching for an identity – especially as a coaching staff, you don't really know what to base your game plan around. Do you, do you game plan on defense? Do you, do you game plan around blitzes? Do you game plan around making your, your cornerbacks you know, out there on an island and they just have to compete against the, the receivers you know, every down? Now, obviously, blitzing and, 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 and cornerbacks on an island go hand in hand. But the Broncos have somehow found this kind of bizarre... I don't want to say old-fashioned, but different way of, of playing defense is that it really is bend, but don't break. They give up just a ton of yards. I believe they're maybe, I think it's 24th in yards against. They gave up a ton of yards, but I, I think it's their ninth in, in points against. So they're finding ways to stop the team, and, and, it, and a lot of it's been turnovers. They have a good turnover differential. Um, I believe it's plus 11. Man, I, I wrote these numbers down somewhere. And then I lost them. Um, good job, Kevin. Anyway, they have a good differential. And they're finding ways to to get it done, especially with these big guys on the inside. Now, the question is, for this season, what, what you know, first of all, what makes us feel okay as a fan base or as a team if they end up, say, as 9-7 and seven and 10-6 and six, but don't make the playoffs? Are we happy with that? For me, yes. I, I think that's a, a major improvement. That's showing that this team has guts, that they, they, they've found a way to to have a winning formula that their coaching staff is is getting their message to the team and that's a big improvement they were a dumpster fire last year we all know it they, they had nothing going right and obviously the, the the quarterback situation you know wasn't helping now case Keenum maybe not be the future of the team but they're figuring it out the, the identity is starting to shape you're starting to to find what this team is they are a a nasty ugly, hard-nosed, running running game, big men on the on the field. That's who they are. They, they, and that is a throwback team, throwback style, that has been proven to be successful. Now, again, we've talked about this for the last several weeks. What what are the teams doing right now to, to win? The, the top teams, the, the LA Rams, the Kansas City Chiefs, how are they winning? Yes, they're winning mostly with just insane passing attacks and insane offenses and very little defense. I don't think that's going to last. I do still believe that the teams like even the, the LA Chargers or the Chicago Bears are the better teams. They're more likely to win in the playoffs because they have that nastiness. They, they have the ability to run the clock with a run game. They have the ability to rush the passer. These are the aspects 
that you must have as a playoff team, unless unless you're the New England Patriots and they just somehow find a way to win every year because they have a great quarterback and probably the greatest coach of all time. But it's not always a great quarterback. Look at Green Bay. Come on, the Green Bay Packers are going to have a losing season. They just lost at home to the Cardinals. To the Cardinals. <laughs> the Broncos and everyone else has beat by about 30 this year. Unbelievable. And that's with Aaron Rodgers, who's supposed to be one of the greatest quarterbacks in the last 10 or 20 years, and is one of the best talented players ever, best arm talents ever. And they're finding ways to lose. And the the coach, Mike McCarthy, just got fired uh, after the game. Um, But it shows you, again, it's not just a great quarterback that takes you to win. You also have to have that connection. You have to have that good atmosphere. There's something something that they do in New England that works. <coughs> Excuse me. And Belichick, though I don't think he's beloved, he sets a culture that is consistent. It works. Now, again, we're, we're getting a little off with New England, but if you're not New England, a good way to win is is an ugly way to win. Look at the, look at the Broncos in 2015. Yeah, they lost. In, remember, they lost in 2013 to Seattle, who was an ugly team. You know, they were a team that ran the ball. They had Russell Wilson make a few big plays a game, and they had a great defense. And they they played an ugly style, not as ugly as the Broncos. They they had that big hitting, you know, good coverage team. So I guess they weren't ugly, but they're defensive minded. Let's say that they're ground and pound type of a team. The Broncos did the same thing in 2015. Peyton Manning was terrible in 2015. There's no doubt about it. I mean, he was benched for Brock Osweiler, for goodness sake. But he was just good enough in the playoffs to to pull it off. And, and that was a great defense. It was it was an ugly team that, that found ways to win. They they forced turnovers. They, they sacked the quarterback. And it wasn't this high-flying offense. And I think you rarely see these high-flying offenses win, win at all. Because eventually... Either you're going to be stopped, you're going to have a bad game on offense, your quarterback is going to throw a couple bad interceptions. Come on, Pat Mahomes is going to make big mistakes in the playoffs. I'm just convinced of it. The guy, he is a brilliant talent. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I mean, one of the, I, I actually enjoy watching him, and I hate to say it, but he, he's fun to watch. He is, he's a brilliant talent and a smart guy, but he so consistently runs to the right, rolls to the right, and then throws across his body eventually that's going to that's going to come back and hurt him. And it's hurt him in a couple games. And in the playoffs, I just don't think you can rely on that because in the playoffs, obviously you're playing against the best teams in the NFL and typically you're playing against good defenses. And I don't think that's going to last. I think eventually he's going to make mistakes that aren't going to hold up. The defense cannot give up 40 points a game and win in the playoffs. You're, you're Eventually you're going to have a team that's going to outplay you on offense. So you can't rely only on a passing attack. And it, it's... It's almost been proven forever. I, I mean, look, look at the, the last 10, 20, 30 years of, of, of teams winning the Super Bowl. Every now and then you see it. Maybe New Orleans did it, but they had a decent, uh, a decent defense and had a crazy play caller in Sean Payton, you know, with that, uh, the uh, onside kick to start the half, et cetera. But usually it's because of a defense. Now, the Broncos, I think they're a team that nobody wants to face. Really, I, I don't think anyone wants to face them. I, th- I think I'd be scared. I think teams like Houston, like Kansas City, would rather face even the L.A. Chargers or, or face Pittsburgh, for goodness sake, than face the Broncos because because of that ugly style, because they just grind it out and they run the ball and they run down the clock and they hit the quarterback. And, yeah, now maybe the teams are more talented. Yeah, I think Houston, Kansas City, L.A. Chargers, I think they actually are more talented 
than the Broncos, especially a quarterback. But they're going to be scared. They're, they're going to be scared if they face this team. And the Broncos definitely should should rise to that and accept that and build on that. You know, if, if they don't succeed this year or if they don't make the playoffs, what do you build on? How do you make this team? What is your identity going into 2019 and 2020 for that sake? So, you know, first of all, I think you're going to have Case Keenum as quarterback next year. Obviously, you don't have any other option. So you have a guy who, who you just say, hey, go control the game. Don't force a turnover. And every now and then lead us in the fourth quarter. And he's done that, especially the last couple of games. He's been very good in the fourth quarter all year. And in the last four games, he hasn't had any turnovers. And if he continues that, that's who you need him to be. You have a great running attack and you have a guy who doesn't make mistakes. That's that's a good formula. Keenum is a guy who can be that. If you put him in the right position, he can be that guy. If you put him in a great position, say with more play action passes, with with better tight ends, who I think he's most comfortable throwing to, he could be even good. I think he could be a good statistical quarterback, but you're maybe even risking a few turnovers. So put him in a good position. Say, hey, go and don't make mistakes. Go and just don't lose the game. Let our defense, let our running game do it. Let, let turnovers change the games and they, the turnovers have changed the games the last three weeks and they've won three games in a row and, and they're, they're finding out that's how you win in the NFL and you build around that now you you go and you go and get these guys who have this never stop motor these guys who just are are rough ugly guys these Shelby Harris guys who just they, they don't do anything sexy but they do everything well they do everything hard they they fight for every single freaking inch on that football field and that's what the Broncos need they need more smart guys no more tough guys like like Cortland Sutton like Philip Lindsay these guys who have a chip on their shoulder these pit bull type players that are going go, going to go out and just play with 110% of their emotion with all their heart and that's what they need to draft and the Broncos they need to add to a couple of positions yeah they need to to bolster their 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 defensive backfield absolutely um, but but again, you have guys to build around. I think Todd Davis has become a star. I, I watched him. I, I tried. I watched the game again. I watched the highlights, and and um, I tried to focus in on Todd Davis. The guy had a great game. He had that huge play in the fourth quarter where he stopped that that short screen pass. Um, I think I believe it was a pass to Mixon, and and stopped him in the backfield. And it was just it was a really well read, really. Nice play by Davis, and and that made me want to go back and rewatch him. And he's a really good player, you guys. I mean, watch out for Todd Davis. He has somehow found a way to become a a, a at least a good linebacker, and and I think he's on the verge of becoming a star. And so, if you have someone like Jewel who who continues to improve, he's a rookie guy. Maybe he gets better. They're two guys you don't need to replace. So so you build on that. You you bring in a couple more pass rushers because Barrett is probably gone. Shane Ray is gone. You're gonna need to to bolster that rotation. You know, bring in a couple big guys. And this team's not far away. They're not far away. They they need a couple pieces. They need I think they need to add to the defense. They need to make this again a dominant force. They need to add maybe a couple skill players. But you have the running attack. You have the wide receiver. You have a quarterback who can get it done. The offensive line has figured it out. You're, you're probably going to add a couple pieces to the offensive line in the offseason. But the guys, are they're playing great. So what is your main addition in the offseason? I think you're looking at, again, you're probably looking at a big man. You're looking at another pass rusher to add to the rotation. And you need to bolster the, the defensive backfield. Probably your first pick <clears throat> should be a cornerback. I, I think their cornerbacks are their weakest point. But if Isaac Yadam 
continues to play like he did the last two weeks, then hey, maybe it's not as big a weakness as we thought. You know, Bradley Roby might be gone, so you, you need to bolster it. So bring in a quarterback, a cornerback, excuse me, and continue building the tough image, the unsexy, rough, hard guys who just get down and dirty and find ways to win. Okay, up next, Skipper Dude bringing us in with how the fan bases feel around the teams that are in the chase for the wild card. Hi, Kevin. Thanks for having me on. I am the scout Broncos fan since 1984. So today we're going to take a look around the AFC at the challengers for this year's wildcard spots. But instead of looking at the teams themselves, which everybody and their mother will be doing over the next few weeks, we're going to look at the fan bases instead in hopes of getting a little glimpse at what may be going on within each of these organizations. So here's my premise. There's a certain spiritual aspect to what goes on in NFL organizations, front offices, locker rooms, and fan bases, and, and attributes that typically begin in the locker room and then, and then on the field. Things like confidence, desperation, arrogance, apathy, anger, excitement. They, they tend to spill into fan bases and create a sort of feedback loop that lead to a sort of organizational persona over the course of time. So by looking at the mood of a fan base, I believe you can at times get a feeling for the mood of the organization and even what's inside the locker room. So those of you who remember back to the 2012 playoffs may remember the lead-up to the Broncos' AFC Divisional game that year. The Baltimore Ravens came to Denver as a pretty good team, having won the AFC North at 10-6, and but they also headed into the playoffs as a bit of a mess. Owner Art Modell had died right before the regular season began. Ray Lewis announced his retirement before the playoffs. And the Ravens came to Denver having lost four of their last five regular season games before beating Indianapolis in the wildcard round. The Broncos, on the other hand, were flying high, almost as high as at any time in regular season team history. Peyton Manning had started his first season with the Broncos slowly with several losses, but he hit a stride in October and led the Broncos to 11 straight wins, all by a touchdown or more and a 13-3 record. This team, this Broncos team, looked literally unstoppable. And I can still remember the sense of utter overconfidence that had overwhelmed Broncos countries, and myself included. I, I remember a conversation at Mile High Report where a good-hearted Ravens fan came aboard and, and gave his preview to the game and basically said more or less, you guys are going to win the game, but it may be closer to you th than you think. And here's why. Like most of uh, the other Bronco fans, we, I, I remember kind of sort of scoffing at the idea that the game would even be close. And, and as it turned out, I, I think, the, the overconfidence that we felt and we experienced as a fan base, the same overconfidence played itself out in the locker room as the Broncos came out flat and, and were basically bad in, in every aspect of the game, especially their coaching, the game plan. And they ended up losing the game, of course, 38-35 to in double overtime. So I've seen other evidence of this phenomenon through the years, but this particular bursting of our overconfidence bubble in 2012 really led me to believe that NFL coaches, players, and fans share a certain spiritual connection. They, they, they are, are on a certain similar wavelength at, at any given time. So, so let's dig into this year's playoff wildcard chase and see if we can learn anything about the quote-unquote auras of these various teams. So as we know... There are six teams uh, chasing two wildcard spots right now. The Chargers at 9-3 and three are obviously in the driver's seat for the number five 
spot. In fact, they're they're probably in pretty good shape to take a take a run at winning the division, knocking out the uh, the Chiefs. But they're not a lock necessarily. If if you look at um, the the Broncos. On the chance that they win out the next four games, that means that, uh, of course, they will have beaten the Chargers twice, including uh, the next time they play. And and the Chargers will actually end up having to beat either the uh, Ravens or the Chiefs to to get into that number five playoff spot. So so it's not it's not a uh, a a given that that uh, the Chargers will end up with that that number five spot. The Ravens are probably your favorites for the number six spot right now. At seven and five, and they also have the head-to-head tiebreaker against the Broncos. They're going to be tough to beat as well. They've got a tough schedule coming up, but uh, they're a game ahead of the Broncos and and have a tiebreaker as well. And then at six and six, the Broncos are in a bit of a mosh pit with the Dolphins, Colts, and Titans, all with legitimate chances at the wild card at this point. And, and just for the sake of brevity, I, I decided to eliminate the Bengals, who are five and seven and dropping, as well as the Browns, who. Four, six, and one, a little bit dangerous, I suppose, but they're really no threat this year. So those six teams, we're going to take a look at the most commented upon threads on SB Nation this past week as a little exercise. We're not going to look at game previews or game threads or standing threads like horse tracks or no bull review because pieces like that, and they're typically fantastic, are deeply enough into the day-to-day that I don't think they really give you a good big picture look at the underlying mood. So what we're going to do is on each of these, for each of these six teams, we're going to look at popular, highly commented upon midweek opinion type pieces and, and see what they tell us. What, what kind of, of articles are attracting fans, bringing comments, and, and then what kind of comments are, are the fans making? And, and it'll give us an idea of where the, where the, the, uh, the fans Heads are. So let's start with Denver Broncos, obviously, Mile High Report, just a little control here. So the most comments upon peace last week during the middle of the week was from Ian St. Clair. Broncos must prove playoff legitimacy by beating Cincy. 116 comments. And I think that uh, that really the first, the lead into Ian's article here was probably nailed. I think it nailed where the Broncos fans' heads are right now. Excitement, disbelief, gasp, hope. Those are just a few of the emotions engulfing the Denver Broncos the last two weeks. After two wins over two of the best teams in the AFC, the Broncos showed themselves right into the playoff discussion. There is still a lot of work left to make that come to life, but the fact Denver is even in the discussion is a damn miracle, especially if you consider where this team was just three weeks ago. Okay, so I think that that pretty well nails it. And then you start looking into the comments, and the comments have just a certain just win. At angle to it or attribute to them. This is a very, as you can tell, reading these comments, is a very hungry uh, fan base. So first one, and I think this may have been the first comment um, out there. Is, it was Salmon. A lot of comments followed it by Quaker the foul. We must blow out the Bengals? Question mark. Why? Does a blowout victory grant us an extra victory in the standings or something? Does beating two good teams in a row should have been three? On long winning streaks, not send enough of a message or send less of a message somehow than pounding a bad team? I'll just settle for a win on the road in an early game. We've already had enough trouble in that regard. No reason to go crazy. Okay, and, and then I think pretty well reflect reflects where Bronco country is right now. We're not going to have a lot of distractions. We're not looking for for style points in terms of how we win. Just 
win and hopefully get the uh, breaks that we're going to need from from you know some losses from a couple other teams to get into the playoffs. So now let's move over to the LA Chargers. And again, like I said, they they uh, they they have are in the driver's seat at nine and three. They're going to have to have a bit of a meltdown in order to miss the playoffs at this point or to to miss the fall below the Broncos as number five seed. But but let's take a look at bolts from the blue and see what the the tone is there. And, and what you see, what's very interesting, is not like what you see at, at a Mile High Report. This is a team very clearly from looking at bolts of the view, the blue, that is accustomed to losing over the course of literally decades. And I think their blog kind of reflects it. Um, the, the biggest article from midweek last week, Philip Rivers receives little leeway when he plays poorly by Michael Papalardo. Uh, 118 comments. He he starts out saying, it is no secret that a team's odds of winning are lowered if his quarterback performs poorly. However, many fran- NFL franchises have shown over the last seven seasons that it is not impossible to bail out a quarterback who delivers a subpar outing. The Chargers do not fit into this group. The last time the Chargers won a game in which their quarterback threw more interceptions than total touchdowns was September 25th, 2011. There have been at least 104 instances of that happening since then. And by the way, he, he laid out the, uh, the numbers. And of, of those 104, six were actually by Peyton Manning, five in 2015 alone. So the, if you read through the comments, they're, they're, they're kind of just as, as dismissive. So one of the very first comments comes from, I think, a local writer there named Nate Pickering. And, and he says, there's really nothing about Rivers that should be unclear or controversial at this point. He is the Marty Schottenheimer of quarterbacks. And the sample sizes are sufficiently large by this point that definitive conclusions can and should be drawn. Philip Rivers is a lead pipe cinch Hall of Famer, but he has performed markedly less well in the postseason than the regular season and markedly less well, particularly in the second half of his career, late in close games. Wow, we just saw that recently, didn't we? Whether it's right or wrong, those are the situations that ultimately comprise the bulk of a quarterback's reputation when he hangs it up, and they are given far more weight by people than gaudy accomplishments of regular season stats. Okay, so basically there's bolts from the blue. That's a, that's a team with the, the Chargers. You know, they're in a good place right now statistically, but you can see the fan base is just set up and ready to lose. So let's now move over to Baltimore, the Baltimore Ravens and Baltimore beatdown. This is a team going through a totally and completely different problem than what you have in L.A. Um, the, the number one article for, for this past week, actually 414 comments, if you can believe it, evaluating the Lamar Jackson-Joe Flacco debate by Logan Levy. The, the Ravens are caught in a catch-22. And basically, if you, if you haven't followed the, um, the, the Ravens of late, Lamar Jackson is the rookie quarterback who has played and won the last three games for, for Baltimore, leaving them with a, uh, with a legitimate quarterback controversy there. So the Ravens are caught in a catch-22, and Harbaugh, John Harbaugh's fate could be determined by his decision. If he sticks with Jackson and it does not work out, he will be scolded for not going back to his veteran signal caller. If he reverts back to Flacco, he will be ridiculed for not staying with the hot hand. The bottom line is that the Ravens are not a Super Bowl contender this season. The goal of any team should never be to earn a wild card spot and hope to get lucky in the playoffs. Okay, now, as a Bronco fan, I I read that and I said, wait a minute. 
Have you guys already forgotten about 2012? Because we certainly haven't if you have. But anyways, he says, he goes on and he says, teams have gone on Super Bowl runs from that position, but this team does not look poised to do that. Okay, very interesting. So first, or one of the first comments posted by a poster named Rave On. I've been a Flacco supporter for a long time. Purchased the jersey as soon as he was drafted. Won it, worn it every game since. Still watch the 2012 postseason two to three times a year, but I think we have to go with Lamar. Been waiting for 2012 Flacco to show up for too long. Lamar is the future and the present. Play him. So clearly in reading through Baltimore Beatdown, this is a fan base that is not particularly excited about their prospects for 2018. In fact, they're ready to turn things over to a rookie quarterback and with some very tough games coming up. And if it causes them to miss the playoffs, I think in Baltimore, they don't really care that much. They're ready to move on to 2019. All right, so let's move over to Miami, the uh, the Finn Sider. Now, Bronco fans, this the, the tone in Miami is going to send a bit of a chill down your spine. So first article, the biggest article of the week was uh, by Kevin Nogle. 179 comments. The title is, What is Wrong with the Dolphins? Changes Have to Be Made. Wow, sound a little bit like where we were three weeks ago. So he starts off, he says, I believe that Ryan Tannehill is good enough to A, be a bridge to another quarterback, and B, is better than most of the rookies who will come out this year, and I would prefer to wait until 2020 for the most part in drafting a new quarterback. Boy, sound like the uh, same arguments we were having with Case Keenan a few weeks ago. The foundation seems to be in place for success, but Adam Gaze is still growing into his role as the head coach. Very interesting. Sound like Vance Joseph just a few weeks ago. In general, Dolphins fans appear to be dissatisfied with the performance of DC uh, of defense coordinator Matt Burke after the departure of Vance Joseph. Very interesting. And they, they also seem to believe that Adam Gase is doing a lousy job as a play caller. So, so the uh, writer goes on, Kevin Nogle goes on, the Dolphins are not a bad team, no matter how much Twitter wants you to make you have, wants to make you believe they are. The problem is they are not always a good team either. They show you flashes of it, but then they fall back to mediocrity. Okay, so comment in this comment in this one got lots of likes, likes, lots of responses, and, and, and tr- quite a bit of agreement. Uh, it comes from Daryl Dunphy. He says, I think we need to identify something that we can build around. Right now, we do not have any one unit or extraordinary player where we can build an identity. We have some good players, but every team in the league has good players. We aren't alone in the ranks of the mediocre where it feels like there is some talent. We just don't have enough, or the coaches are failing us, or the front office is terrible. Pick your cliche here. It is possible they all apply. Okay, now very interesting. Take a step back here and think about this for just a minute. Here the Broncos are at 6-6 and and absolutely stoked for the 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 prospects of a playoff run and here you have Miami um at, at the same 6 and 6 and and they've pretty much already written off this season so very interesting to see how these fan bases are, are 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 shaking out okay so let's take a look over at Tennessee Titans the the music, over at the uh, Music City Miracles site largest the uh, biggest um Article from the middle of last week was by Jimmy Morris, 244 comments. I'm not out on Matt LaFleur yet, but last night was really concerning. Matt LaFleur being their offense coordinator. The Titans' offense line, offensive line is trash. 
Let's get that out there right up front. There really isn't a guy on that line playing well, and that makes it really hard to call an offense. I get that. But there is a way to do it better than Matt LaFleur, who we all thought was going to be the savior, and did it last night. All right, so comments. Um, TD Tommy D. I think this just isn't our year. This is the NFL. Schnitzel happens. Okay, now that's a little bit of Broncos and Bratwurst filtering there. We had our quarterback lose feeling in his hand for six weeks. We lost our best offensive weapon in week one, and our old line has been banged up. We got burned by deep balls. We got burned by bad coaching decision. We got, we, and we, we got, and we installed a new offense. This is why it isn't working this year. But again, this is the NFL. Look at the Eagles, who returned most of a Super Bowl roster and added Wentz to it, who is great, and they are just as schnitzel as we are. We still have a good team. I would have killed for this quarterback, the coaches and ownership, in 2013. The team just have to focus on improving certain areas like interior O-line and pass rush and roll the dice again next year. I realize we can still make playoffs as a wild card, but we aren't doing anything in the playoffs. I'm disappointed at where we are, were at considering we, we look, how good we looked at times, but overall I'm still happy with this team and where it stands. Hopefully we can make a run next year. Okay, so very interesting again. Here's another team, Music City Miracles, Tennessee Titans, 6-6, six and six, and they've basically written off this year. Okay, so now let's move on to Indianapolis Colts, Stampede Blue. All right, the Colts, uh, Colts tight end Jack Doyle suffers what is feared to be a season-ending injury. 116, 176 comments by Chris Blystone. The Colts went into Sunday right in a five-game winning streak, so certainly there's reason for optimism. Um, but, but take a look at the note, or take a look at the tone of this article compared to what you saw from some of these other fan bases. Okay, so he says the the Colts' offense has been humming since Week Six, and a major component of that offense, both in terms of blocking and as a reliable target for Luck, has been Jack Doyle. Doyle has been overshadowed in terms of production this season by Eric Ebron, who has 12 touchdowns on the season, but his presence on the offense was definitely an important one. Okay, definitely on the optimistic side. Now look at comment number one, tons of likes. Well, F-bomb. F-bomb, 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 F-bomb. That is all by 88 horsepower. Okay, comment number two, flagged and well said. Um, VA Hoosier. I thought that the first couple of comments were kind of funny. Okay, so comment number three, and this one got lots of likes. And it says, I'm not so sure this is as big a loss as people think. Doyle's very good, and I like him, no doubt, but assuming everyone else is healthy, I think they can survive. Hewitt is a better blocker, and Swoop and Cox are probably better receivers. The problem is you're swapping the good all-around player for three more or less one-dimensional guys, although I don't think Cox is a bad blocker like Ebron and Swoop are by Fire Cashman. Okay, so what you're seeing, I think, in, in Indianapolis now is a little bit more, um, a little bit more optimism. That, that, that there's still some hunger there, some, some, some thoughts that maybe this team can make a bit of a playoff run. And, and so, so what, let me ask you, now that we've gone through the six, what if we learned from this exercise? Basically, out of the six teams we've looked at, I think you've got one, the, um, the Chargers, that are, are basically you know, just a, a, a uh, they're, they're, they're waiting to, to lose. I mean, you can, you can see that, that, um, they've got it in their minds. I think, well, it was us another year, whether we choke in the playoffs or we choke before the playoffs, it's, it's going to happen. And then you've got three of the six Baltimore, 
Miami and Tennessee who have kind of written things off for this year. And then finally, you've got uh, the Broncos who are extremely uh, excited and optimistic and, and the Colts who are still kind of hungry. So, so what, Kevin, do you think we've learned from this exercise? I do believe it indicates that the Broncos fan base is the most confident, engaged, and passionate of the wild card contenders right at the moment. You know, certainly a three-game winning streak is going to help in that regard. Is it a confidence, engagement, and passion that we'll see played out on the field now that we've lost Chris Harris, Matt Paradis, and Ronald Leary um, for the season, at least the regular season for Chris Harris? He may be back for the playoffs. And, and we're going to see for the next few weeks a Franken-Line on offense and a Franken-Secondary on defense. Um possibly possibly and i think i don't want to overplay the message here and and go and make a bold prediction that it's going to be the broncos and colts that make the playoffs this year because realistically we all know that uh, the chargers and the ravens are are the favorites to, to be certain just with where they are in the standings but i think it's going to be interesting in the coming weeks to see how this mood plays itself out because I think you're, what you're going to see is you're going to see Baltimore by virtue of a backup quarterback, or uh, I'm sorry, of a rookie quarterback, as well as my, Miami and Tennessee start to fade, I believe. And then you're going to also see, I think, the Broncos and Colts hang in tough. And, and does that mean that the Broncos will actually make the playoffs? Maybe, maybe not. I think realistically, even if the Broncos went out, their chances of making the playoffs are probably slightly above 50%. But I, I do think that there's momentum. I do think the fans are engaged. I do think the players are engaged. And I do think things are going in the right direction. And a playoff run could very well be ahead. So, Kevin, back to you. <laughs> nothing a little music can't help. Rockin', rockin' and rollin'. All right, wrapping things up for the last segment of Broncos Broadwards podcast here uh, and agreeing with with Skipper Dude and how the the feeling for these these teams are really different. I, I disagree a little bit. I think Baltimore has a very interesting vibe going on. They have that weird uh, quarterback controversy, but I think they really like what they have with, with this this you know the rookie. And I don't think it's going to last. I think, again, you see, you've seen this year in and year out that they try to mix things up and bring in a quarterback who runs it more than he passes. Someone's going to figure it out. It's, it's not going to last. I hope it doesn't last in the regular season. Either way, it's not going to last in the postseason. What Baltimore does have for them, they have a very good defense. They have the best defense in football. And that is going to bring them, you know, a lot closer to being successful. Now, Baltimore does run the ball. So Baltimore is kind of the team that Denver might want to try to emulate they're they're great at running the ball and they're great at defense and that that wins in the playoffs so the only way though I I think you still have to have a quarterback who gets it done when you have to have that pass and I don't know if if Jackson's the guy um we'll see um anyway Denver let's look at their their schedule a little bit coming up um Denver is this weekend at the 49ers uh the 49ers are terrible um Mullins at quarterback. He's a guy who no one's ever heard of. He's he's not very good. He's a third string quarterback. Um, they're a team that's that's clearly tanking. Um, that I just I just saw today on Twitter that Matt Breida, their their running back, who has been very good, kind of a similar style to Philip Lindsay, 
smaller guy who's got a lot of energy and a lot of um, a lot of quickness. He he's not going to play. Um, I think the team is just trying to be careful with their star players for the rest of the season. You don't want to get anybody hurt when you have a terrible record and are aiming for the first pick in the draft. And I think that's that's what San Fran is doing right now. So the Broncos absolutely should win this game. I mean. Yeah, you know, the Broncos, again, they're not the most talented team. They're playing on the road, but there's just no reason to say Denver won't win. I mean, there are five, I think even six-point favorites on the road. So so you always give three points to the, to the home team. So in a way, Denver is nine-point favorites against San Francisco. So Denver should absolutely go in there and destroy them. I mean, pressure Mullins, get a couple picks. You know, get another young guy to make mistakes. Keenum, just don't make mistakes. If they stay clean, if Keenum stays turnover-free again, they should win this easily. I can see them winning this by 21, 25, 30 points. Uh, doesn't mean they will. I understand week in and week out, things can happen. Look at, again, the Cardinals just went in and won in Lambeau Field against Aaron Rodgers. So you never know. Week, anything can happen. But Denver should win. So after the 49ers... Um, the Broncos go and play uh, Cleveland. Uh, actually, they're at home against Cleveland. Now, Cleveland's another team that I like. I think they're they're really building for a future. They have a lot going for them. They have the by far the best rookie quarterback with Baker Mayfield. Um, Nick Chubb is is very good. <laughs> the fact that there'll be two Chubbs on the on the field uh, in one game is a, an interesting side note. Um, and. They're good. They have a, a decent defense, but they're, again, they're they're a team the Broncos should beat at, at home. This this it really shouldn't be that close. And and I, and I know Cleveland is competitive, but but they're a team that they're they're out of the playoff picture now after a big loss last week, and they got absolutely destroyed last week. And I think Denver should be two and zero. They should win five straight. Again, anything can happen. I get it, but they should win. Uh, after Cleveland, it's at Oakland again. Just a, a terrible, terrible team. A team that's that's clearly tanking. John Gruden blew the team up and wants to rebuild it. And we've talked about it many times. They're terrible. Probably the worst team we've seen in a long time. They're also fighting for that first pick. They'll probably be the number one pick. I think. I think they'll lose out. Um, yeah, I get it. It's at Oakland, but you'll probably see half of the fans show up be Broncos fans. So again, a, a game Denver should definitely win. So the Broncos should win three more, and which would be six straight. And so if they do that, they are guaranteed a 9-7 and seven at worst record. And that's that's a success. It is. I mean, look at the record. Look at the teams they faced early in the season. That was a brutal, brutal record, a brutal stretch of games. They played Kansas City, the L.A. Rams, the L.A. Chargers, Kansas City again, uh, Houston. I, I, it was just over and over they played against good teams, really good teams, some of the best teams in football. So you have to give this team a little bit of a break. And they were still trying to figure out who they were who they are, you know, that Case Keenum is a new quarterback. He's working with a new offensive coordinator, etc. So now that they have a really easy three-game schedule coming up, the big game is going to be at Denver against the Chargers. Now, the Chargers, at that point, they might have a spot booked in the playoffs. They may be the, be uh, clinched. <laughs> That's the word I'm looking for. And if they're clinched, they may rest some of their best players because again, you want to you want to you know keep them from getting hurt. Now, not all coaches play the same way. They, 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 some play, coaches always want to start everybody and go into the next game. You know, you know, 
with momentum. Some guys like resting all their players. I don't know what Anthony Anthony Lynn will do in L.A., um, but hopefully the Chargers clinch, and then they rest all their players so the Broncos will have another guaranteed win. Either way, the Broncos match up well against the Chargers, and they showed that with their win um, three weeks ago. The Chargers, I think, are a very good team. I've, I've said this since the beginning of the year, and I, I still I stand by the fact that they are better than the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs are just prone to make big mistakes. Now, I get it. Phillip Rivers is, too. He has not been the most consistent guy ever, especially in big games. But I think this could be his year. I, I think this is the year that Phillip Rivers shows up and goes deep into the playoffs. And I, I, I bet that's going to take a game where they, they beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, L.A., their schedule coming up, the Chargers, that is, they they face Cincinnati at home, which they should obviously win. And then they, they, they play at Kansas City and then at home against Baltimore. So they, so L.A. has a really tough schedule. But I, I think they're going to live up to it. Um, I, I think they beat Kansas City. I, I think one of those games, the Chargers are going to come out on top. And I bet you this one they win. I think the Chargers are going to pressure Mahomes. He's going to make a couple of mistakes. And the Chargers could, they could win the division. Now remember, they're nine and three. Kansas City's ten and two. Now Kansas City has the the tiebreaker at the moment, but if the Chargers beat them again, then it'll be conference record. And yeah, we'll see. You know, in, in three weeks' time, how that all winds out. But it, it honestly could be the Kansas City Chiefs as the number one wild card. Now, if it's if we're looking at the, the, the teams that the Broncos are chasing are the Chargers. Uh, the Ravens and Indianapolis. So Baltimore is at Kansas City this week. That's another really tough game. Now, at this point, I think we need to root for Kansas City. We want Kansas City to beat Baltimore. We want Kansas City to beat L.A. So will they? We'll see. I think Baltimore is a perfect recipe for beating Kansas City. They're a good running game and a good defense that I think could force mistakes by Mahomes. Now, again, I hope Kansas City wins, which hurts coming out of my mouth. It feels kind of like puke when I say that, um, but tough. And then they play at home against Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay has the number one offense with uh, in, in regards to um, total yards in the NFL. Bizarre, right? They're, they're not a very good team, but they have a really good offense. And when they get hot, they're scary. They're a scary team when they get hot, so that's not a that's not a guaranteed win, but it's at home, so Baltimore should win. Uh, and then Baltimore plays again; they play the Chargers, and then they play at home against Cleveland. So not an easy schedule for Baltimore. We need Baltimore to lose at least two games. So if the Broncos win out; they need Baltimore to lose two or LA to lose three. I think Baltimore definitely could lose two of those games. If they lose against Kansas City, they just need to lose one more against Tampa Bay, LA, or Cleveland. No guaranteed losses, but not easy. Not as easy as the Broncos' schedule. Um, Indianapolis plays this week at Houston. That's another huge, huge game. Um, Houston's won nine games in a row. Indianapolis just got shut out 6 nothing by by Jacksonville. How bizarre was that? Uh, and then they play at home against Dallas, who is a, another very good team. And they're, they're hot at the moment. They play at home against New York Giants, who are... That they're an odd team. They're not very good, but they they have talent. They 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 have players that can have big games and and win it for you. I mean OBJ, uh, Eli Manning, I guess uh, Saquon Barkley, uh, and then at home uh, Indianapolis finishes. Uh, excuse me, they finish at Tennessee. Tennessee, another team that is fighting for their lives in the playoffs. They're a little bit behind um, the group at the moment, but they're still right in it. So that's a huge game that both teams might be fighting for their playoff lives. If not, Tennessee will look to kick Indianapolis out and spoil their division rivals' um, playoff hopes. So 
<clears throat> excuse me, of all the teams in it right now, I do believe Denver has the best schedule. I don't think it's even that close. I think Denver should win three, absolutely. They they could win four, uh, especially if the Chargers are arresting some of their players after clinching the playoffs. Um, and if the Broncos, again, if they went out, they need either the L.A. Chargers to lose three or Baltimore to lose two. Now, I don't think the, the Chargers are going to lose three, so they need Baltimore to lose. So Broncos fans, keep this in mind. We are rooting just as much against Baltimore as we are for the Broncos. This rings a bell. Is it me? Or is there the Broncos? The Broncos Ravens rivalry has become one of the bigger ones in football. The Ravens are oddly hated, at least for me. I hate the Ravens. I really hate them. I think it's since that 2012 game that was just so heartbreaking. And since then, they're the team that I just can't handle. I just can't stand to watch win. Now, I don't really know why. Again, I think it's because of that 2012 game. I actually like John Harbaugh. Uh, Flacco, I think it was the most overrated quarterback in the last 10 years. Uh, now that he's done, uh, maybe that maybe that feeling will go away, but not this season. We have to have them lose. They need to lose this week against Kansas City. So, guys, I know it hurts. I know it's it's hard to say even for me. Go Kansas City Chiefs. I hope they win. I hope they, they beat up on Baltimore. And then we need Baltimore to lose uh, another game. Broncos, got to win out. Got to win out, baby. Yeah, this is the time. You want to prove yourselves. You want to you want to earn that love and respect from the fan base and, and earn a spot, Vance Joseph, in the hearts of, of Broncos fans. That may be the only way you do it. It may be. I mean, the, the fans are already prejudiced against him, and, and rightfully so. He had a bad stretch last year and a bad stretch this year. He needs to prove a lot. And to do that, he's going to have to probably get to the playoffs. And that's, yeah, that's a little unfair. But I, I'm more of a believer in him now. But if he doesn't make the playoffs, if they lose a game, or especially if they lose two, he might be fired, honestly. Um, if they lose two games, I think he's out. If they lose one game, I at 9-7, and seven, I think he stays. But I don't think he he's earned the love of the fan base. And I think you're going to go into 2019 with, with a lot of articles and a lot of podcasts bashing on Vance Joseph and saying how everyone wishes he wasn't here and everyone wishes it was someone else. But if they make the playoffs, it's a whole different story. Whole different story. The whole scope of, of this franchise, of the future, of the immediate and the long-term future of this team depends on the next four games. And let's see what they do. It's exciting, right? I mean, I mean, unfortunately for me, all the all the games for the rest of the season are late games, which means I'll have to stay up until 1 or 2 a.m. to watch them. But I'll be there. I'm sure you guys will too. And again, as always, after the games, we'll be right back talking about them. Broncos and Bratwurst podcast. I'm Kevin Gilligan. Thanks again to Skipper Dude, and we'll see you guys next week. Go Broncos.